0: Welcome to Information by the Pound, Ladies and Germs, Purists and Perverts. Today's topic will be on the man who invented the first mustache ride, as well as the original Superman. But I'll start running to a phone booth and changing into your caped crime-fighting onesie. We're talking about a different Superman today. And here we go. Alright, welcome in. So today's topic is going to be on Nietzsche, and he's often misunderstood, w- weird madman. So you know, I naturally, I gravitate towards those types of people, and uh, we have a lot to unpack today. So we'll get we'll get up uh, get going to it right now. So bio, he was born in eighteen forty four in a small Prussian town to a Lutheran family. They were Lutheran and Catholicism were the only two ri- religions at this point in this part of Europe. And uh, he had to deal with some common, well, not so common obstacles, but very indicative of how he was going to live out his life. Uh, he lost his father and younger brother when he was a child. Uh, he was bullied a lot in school, and he spent much of his childhood trying to, in uh, teens, to try and be a a preacher. He wanted to be involved in the church, and he was called, I believe, Little Preacher. Interesting. Uh, so he had a troubled relationship with his sisters and mother Uh, he tries to uh, go to school, do the graduate boarding school and he starts to then becoming a very beginning stages of like a staunch critic of religion itself Uh, but he goes to university and learns about Schopenhauer and uh, a fun little anecdote about him when he was a young man uh, about going to a brothel, right? Which man hasn't experienced this? Uh, that's a bad joke. But he sat down. So he, he originally asked the driver when the when the coach driver comes by, like, where do you want to go? It's like a really bad lift ride. He's just like, there's no destination. He just kind of winks at the driver. He's like, oh, I want to go to a restaurant. And uh, so the, the driver thought, okay, I'm taking this kid to a brothel. He looks like a virgin. Well, he didn't really, apparently he didn't partake in any in of the festivities there. He sat on the piano and, uh, and played piano all night while while the shenanigans went down in the brothel. Uh, but given how he kind of loses his mind near the end of his life, a lot of critics think that he might have caught syphilis at this brothel. So, you know, next time you find yourself at a brothel, maybe bring some piano finger condoms to help out, you know? <laughs> I suppose. Uh, he then spends, so getting to his... A lot of his work is written between eighteen. Let's see, eighteen seventy nine to later part of eighteen eighties. Yeah, he whipped out a lot of material between that time. Was kind of living like a hermit, but really started deteriorating mentally. And he, this is a very famous situation that happened. He was uh, walking down the street, and he saw a horse being whipped by a coachman. So he ran up to the horse and flung his arms around the horse, explaining his love for it. And, you know, the, the love must have been unreciprocated because, you know, um, I believe the horse said nay to his love. Anyhow, he was basically catatonic catatonic for the last 10 years of his life. Uh, his sister, Elizabeth, had been taking care of him, and so she inherits his work through some, some right. And unfortunately, she was married to an anti-Semite and Nietzsche his whole life had been an ardent foe of nationalism, anti-Semitism, power politics, and unfortunately, the sister had really done some addendums and some editing of his work and was presenting it to the Nazi party. You know, Hitler does use Nietzsche's work to kind of, it was open to interpretation, especially his last work, because of his mental condition and because he never straight up published it. So it was really up to the sister kind of in those last stages of editing this stuff to give it a different sort of view and and take on his work. So getting that out of the way, I mean, he, everything that his work, he tried to make his work be was unfortunately put in the wrong hands by the end of his life. So there's really four foundational pillars of Nietzsche and getting to the first one here is it's about owning up to envy, facing up to our true desires and use that as motivation to better yourself. Uh, we must become conscious of our true potential and put up a heroic fight to honor it and believing that um, that bitterness is really just envy that isn't understood or, or thought out. And the second part is don't be a Christian. Uh, he He thinks that people that don't question the values of religion and have a herd mentality. He thinks it's a uh, organization that's meant to keep people down. It smothers them with morality and self-loathing, loathing. And there's a revolt with going with slave morality. We're talking about selfless and weak people where they value kindness, empathy, and sympathy. Uh, Christians were slaves to begin with. And he thinks that slavery is a resentment to people of power that all these people of power in the master morality, um, that all they care about is pride and power, and they're doing evil by because of that. And there's a resentment of the power and classes by these slaves, and the slaves are here for the moral revolt. It's better to be what we are, they think, instead of being someone that is in a ruling class, making these decisions. He thinks that religion is a religion of uh, pity, which, he quotes stands opposed to the tonic emotions which heighten our vitality it has a depressing effect we are deprived of strength when we feel pity the loss that loss of strength which suffering is such inflicts on life is still further increased and multiplied by pity pity makes suffering contagious he thinks that the uh, the christian charity benefits the worst among us the sick the poor the scum of the earth the stupid and the criminal and the whole point of civilization, according to Nietzsche, is to foster the emergence of the best among us, great artists, great thinkers, great scientists, warriors, and statesmen. Christianity encouraged us to sin against the earth by devaluing this life and instead to look forward to a non-existent afterlife. He has a lot to say, a lot more to say about religion, but we're being succinct here today. Third thing is don't drink alcohol. And he quotes, "There have been two great narcotics in European civilization: Christianity and alcohol." And he has another quote here called "God is dead." You may have seen it on like a coffee mug or something, but here it goes: "God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves? The murders of all murders. What was the holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off of us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves?" what festivals of atonement what sacred gem shall we have to invent is not the greatness of this deed too great for us must we ourselves not become god simply to appear worthy of it so he thinks that this this gap left by religion should be filled with culture philosophy art music literature and that we've replaced god and culture should replace scripture Culture has rejected the idea of a man in the sky, and this void must be filled. And, and the fourth one is, well, that was the fourth one, God is Dead. But the third one I skipped is, oh no, I did. Don't drink alcohol. Yeah, he thought that was numbing, and that's it doesn't allow you to become self-transcendent. So getting to a couple of bodies of, uh, of work of his. So these are kind of all merged together with uh, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, and Beyond Good and Evil. This is kind of like a, the general themes. You kind of have to know one with before the other because he uses a lot of terms interchangeably in, in these bodies of work. But um, these are very early existentialist thoughts. I mean, prior to him, uh, Dostoevsky and Kierkegaard would be very early on stages of uh, existentialism. Nietzsche is misinterpreted to be a nihilist, which really is not the case at all. He tries to create meaning in a meaningless world of no god and his role is to try our best to shine a light on that god is dead and we must fill it with other things and his idea we'll get to some of his main beliefs in a second but um to there is no objective moral values he thinks and he has this quote you have your way i have my way as for the right way the correct way and the only way it does not exist without god life has no ultimate meaning and unfortunately, with nihilism, that, that there is no objective morals. So his, his goal here is to become the Ubermensch, the Overman, or the Superman often referred to. and that, will trans, that, that body will transcend good and evil. It, you'll have to exert a will to power, lifting mankind up to a higher echelon, a different level. And it's the only way to look at these things objectively. And he thinks that there's three transformations of the spirit that we as humans are destined to experience these stages in our lives. And the first one is being the camel. The camel is, is this accepting burden animal that society responds by loading our backs with countless rules and instructions about what we need to do to live a responsible life. One ought to behave this way. Uh, Man accepts these burdens living and dying by some cause Accepting it without fully aware of the consequences. So religion, race, gender, career, academics, family, the tradition of culture you're in. You're just accepting these values and you're just, this is what is to be expected of me. And I will live and die by this expectation. And the second stage is when you become the lion. You go into the desert and the camel travels in the desert and finds the lion And the lion's job is to slay the dragon, the thou shalt, right? So on every scale of this beast, of this dragon is printed a thou shalt, thousands of them, some passed down for millennia through stories, myths, parents, teachers, clergy, media, etc. These are thou shalt behave this way. Thou shalt go to school, thou shalt get a job, thou shalt have a family. The lion's job is to slay this dragon and to an order for full in full immersive experience of freedom. One must one must destroy this dragon. The third stage is becoming the child. Then the child moves easily and naturally out of its own nature with no rules to obey. It's this state of authenticity that Nietzsche says we can finally be our true selves. Essentially, it's pure self-expression. Another big one that he's that Nietzsche's into is uh, amor fati, uh, which is love thy fate and the eternal occurrence that if you could just keep replaying this life over and over you're living it your fate the best your life the best way you can be so seize life be happy dance laugh and he has this uh, great quote that my formula for greatness in a human being is amor fati that one wants nothing to be different not forward not backward not in all eternity not merely bear what is necessary still less conceal it all idealism is mendacity in the face of what is necessary 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 wow it's been a day and i'm sober for this one too but love it is the end of the quote and this goes this all kind of gets wrapped up together in this this bigger idea we're going to get to the will to power and what that really means but beyond good and evil is often his work that it's ambiguous at best there's not much direction with it and a lot of it's open to interpretation as is with his other bodies of work but this one being the most so the will the power um it's it comes it's brought up in a couple bodies of his work and it's really his own personal writing that he he doesn't clearly define it but essentially becoming power is becoming what you truly are self-expression you're not being enslaved by things so everything in the universe is governed by this will to power. Uh atoms in your body, right? The the will to power to uh this underlying force. So whether it be, you know, getting a job, the desire, the motivation, the everything is off this this power to not just survive, but to be become it's an aggressive state. And it could be exploiting and dominating. But he also mentions that it could be if you have this will to power, if you have this. Livelihood or vitality that if you have enough of it, you should be good and virtuous with it and help others with the will to power, so the noble soul is ambiguous to himself. there isn't any clear objective uh, real laid out path at all, and he says there is no good on good and evil. there is a hierarchy of values, but doesn't necessarily explain by making that claim you have to be going off of good and evil to to know what is not good and evil and he also mentions that there's no objective truth it's all socially constructed and that truth is product or consequence of time that there's no objective moral progress and a lot of people disagree if you think about freedoms being taken away or granted with voting and in more inclusive workplaces and clean water i mean there's uh, combating uh, climate change there's a lot of if you look at it could be seen as objectively moral progress but he says no there is no objective truth and to say that there is no objective truth if that statement is true then there is an objective truth if if there's no objective truth then that's not true um so it kind of is a funky setting of words and phrases that he uses and you know there isn't much of a road to walk on he just kind of points up at a mountain in a way and says this way um but i think his main his main concepts being not living in bad faith, uh well nothing is objective, you should avoid religion and alcohol, everything's working off their will to power, love your fate, become the overman, the self-overcoming, and reevaluate all values and virtues you find in life. And there's one great quote I'll leave you guys with. And I think it's very I think it's a very important quote especially with what he's unfortunately tied to with his work uh, courtesy of his sister but it goes something like this one day my name will be associated with the memory of something tremendous a crisis without equal on earth the most profound collision of conscience. a decision that was conjured up against everything that had been believed demanded hollowed so far i am no man i am dynamite